Book Two, Chapter Two of Lord Tony's Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Lord Tony's Wife by Amuska Orksky. Chapter Two, La Buffet, Part One. In the center of the place, the guillotine stood idle. The paint had worn off her sides she looked weather-beaten and forlorn stern and forbidding still but in a kind of sullen loneliness with the ugly stains of crimson on her turned to rust and grime the place itself was deserted in strange contrast to the bustle and the movement which characterized it in the days when the death of men women and children was a daily spectacle here for the crowd then a constant stream of traffic of carts and of tumbrils of soldiers and gaffers encumbered it in every corner now a few tumble-down booths set up against the frontage of the grim edifice once the stronghold of the dukes of brittany now little else but a huge prison a few vendors and still fewer purchasers of the scanty wares displayed under their ragged awnings one or two idlers loafing against the mud-stained walls one or two urchins playing in the gutters were the only signs of life martin roger with his colleague chauvelin turned into the place from the quay they walked rapidly and kept their mantles closely wrapped under their chin for the afternoon had turned bitterly cold it was then close upon five o'clock a dark moonless starless night had set in with only a suspicion of frost in the damp air but a blustering northwesterly wind blowing down the river and tearing round the narrow streets and the open place caused passers-by to muffle themselves shivering yet tighter in their cloaks martin roger was talking volubly and excitedly his tall broad figure towering above the slender form of his companion from time to time he tossed his mantle aside with an impatient febrile gesture and then paused in the middle of the place with one hand on the other man's shoulder marking a point in his discourse or emphasizing his argument with short staccato sentences and brief emphatic words chauvelin placid and impenetrable as usual listened much and talked little he was ready to stand still or to walk along just as his colleague's mood demanded in the darkness and with the collar of a large mantle pulled tightly up to his ears it was impossible to guess by any sign in his face what was going on in his mind they were a strange contrast these two men temperamentally as well as physically even though they had so much in common and were both the direct products of that same social upheaval which was shaking the archaic dominion of france to its very foundations martin roger tall broad shoulders full neck the typical self-educated peasant with square jaw and flat head with wide bony hands and spatulated fingers and chauvelin the aristocrat turned demagogue thin and frail-looking bland of manner and suave of speech with delicate hands and pale almost ascetic face the one represented all that was most brutish and sensual in this fight of one caste against the other the thirst for the other's blood the human beast that has been brought to bay through wrongs perpetrated against it by others and has turned upon its oppressors lashing out right and left with blind and lustful fury at the crowd of tyrants that had kept him in subjection for so long 
whilst Chauvelin was the personification of the spiritual side of this bloody revolution, the spirit of cool and calculating reprisals, that would demand an eye for an eye, and see that it got two, the idealist who dreams of the righteousness of his own cause and the destruction of its enemies, but who leaves to others the accomplishment of all the carnage and the bloodshed which his idealism has demanded and which his reason has appraised as necessary for the triumph of which he dreams. Chauvelin was the man of thought, and Martin Roget the man of action. With the one, revenge and reprisals were selfish desires, the avenging of wrongs done to himself or to his caste, hatred for those who had injured him or his kindred. The other had no personal feelings of hatred, he had no personal wrongs to avenge, his enemies were the enemies of his party, the erstwhile tyrants who in the past had oppressed an entire people. Every man, woman, or child who was not satisfied with the present reign of terror, who plotted or planned for its overthrow, who was not ready to see husband, father, wife, or child sacrificed for the ultimate triumph of the revolution, was in Chauvelin's sight a noxious creature fit only to be trodden under heel and ground into subjection or annihilation as a danger to the state martin roger was the personification of sans culatism of rough manners and foul speech he chafed against the conventions which forced him to wear decent clothes and boots on his feet he would gladly have seen every one go about the streets half-naked unwashed a living sign of that downward levelling of castes which he and his friends stood for and for which they had fought and striven and committed every crime which human passions let loose could invent chauvelin on the other hand was one of those who wore fine linen and buckled shoes and whose hands were delicately washed and perfumed whilst they signed decrees which sent hundreds of women and children to a violent and cruel death one trod in the paths of danton the other followed in the footsteps of robespierre part two together the two men mounted the outside staircase which leads up past the lodge of the concierge and through the clerk's office to the interior of the stronghold outside the monumental doors they had to wait a moment or two while the clerk examined their permits to enter will you come into my office with me asked chauvelin of his companion i have a word or two to add to my report for the paris courier to-night i won't be long you are still in touch with the committee of public safety then asked martin roget always replied the other curtly martin roget threw a quick suspicious glance on his companion darkness and the broad brim of his sugar-loaf hat effectually concealed even the outlines of chauvelin's face and martin roget fell to musing over one or two things which carrier had blurted out a while ago the whole of france was overrun with spies these days everyone was under suspicion everyone had to be on his guard every word was overheard every glance seen every sign noted what was this man chauvelin doing here in nanay what reports did he send up to paris by special courier he the miserable failure who had ceased to count was nevertheless in constant touch with that awful committee of public safety which was wont to strike at all times and unexpectedly in the dark martin roger shivered beneath his mantle for the first time since his schemes of vengeance had wholly absorbed his mind 
he regretted the freedom and safety which he had enjoyed in england and he marvelled if the miserable game which he was playing would be worth the winning in the end nevertheless he had followed chauvelin without comment the man appeared to exercise a fascination over him a kind of subtle power which emanated from his small shrunken figure from his pale keen eyes and his well-modulated suave mode of speech part three the clerk had handed the two men their permits back they were allowed to pass through the gates in the hall some half-dozen men were nominally on guard nominally because discipline was not over strict these days and the men sat or lolled about the place two of them were intent on a game of dominoes another was watching them whilst the other three were settling some sort of quarrel among themselves which necessitated vigorous and emphatic gestures and the copious use of expletives one man who appeared to be in command divided his time impartially between the domino players and those who were quarrelling the vast place was insufficiently lighted by a chandelier which hung from the ceiling and a couple of small oil lamps placed in the circular niches in the wall opposite the front door no one took any notice of martin roget or of chauvelin as they crossed the hall and presently the latter pushed open a door on the left of the main gates and held it open for his colleague to pass through you are sure that i shall not be disturbing you queried martin roget quite sure replied the other curtly and there is something which i must say to you where i know that i shall not be overheard then he followed martin roget into the room and closed the door behind him the room was scantily furnished with a square deal table in the centre two or three chairs a broken-down bureau leaning against one wall and an iron stove wherein a meagre fire sent a stream of malodorous smoke through sundry cracks in its chimney-pipe from the ceiling there hung an oil-lamp the light of which was thrown down upon the table by a large green shade made of cardboard chauvelin drew a chair to the bureau and sat down he pointed to another and martin roget took a seat beside the table he felt restless and excited his nerves all on the jar his colleague's calm sardonic glance acted as a further irritant to his temper what is it that you wish to say to me citizen chauvelin he asked at last just a word citizen replied the other in his quiet urbane manner i have accompanied you faithfully on your journey to england i have placed my feeble powers at your disposal a while ago i stood between you and the proconsul's wrath this i think has earned me the right of asking what you intend to do i don't know about the right retorted martin roget gruffly but i don't mind telling you as you remarked a while ago the northwest wind is wont to be of good counsel i have thought the matter over whilst i walked with you along the quay and i have decided to act on carrier's suggestion our eminent proconsul said just now that it was the duty of every true patriot to marry an aristo and he be free and chance put a comely wench in his way i mean he added with a cynical laugh to act on that advice and marry yvonne de kernogan if i can she has refused you up to now yes up to now you have threatened her and her father yes both not only with death but with shame and still she refuses apparently said martin roget with ever-growing irritation it is often difficult rejoined chauvelin meditatively to compel these aristos they are obstinate 
Oh, don't forget that I am in a position now to bring additional pressure on the wench. That lout carrier has splendid ideas. A brute, what? But clever and full of resource. That suggestion of his about the rat mort is splendid. You mean to try and act on it? Of course I do, said Martin Roget roughly. I am going over presently to my sister's house to see the Kernig and wench again, and to have another talk with her. Then, if she still refuses, if she still chooses to scorn the honourable position which I offer her, I shall act on Carrier's suggestion. It will be at the Ratmort to-night that she and I will have our final interview, and there, when I dangle the prospect of Cayenne and the convict's brand before her, she may not prove so obdurate as she has been up to now. Hum, that is as may be, was Chauvelin's dry comment. Personally, I am inclined to agree with Carrier. Death, swift and sure, the Loire or the guillotine, is the best that has yet been invented for traitors and aristos. But we won't discuss that again. I know your feelings in the matter, and in a measure I respect them. But if you will allow me, I would like to be present at your interview with the soi disant Lady Anthony Dewhurst. I won't disturb you, and I won't say a word, but there is something I would like to make sure of. What is that? Whether the wench has any hopes, said Chauvelin slowly, whether she has received a message or has any premonition, whether, in short, she thinks that outside agencies are at work on her behalf. Shah! exclaimed Martin Roget impatiently. You are still harping on that scarlet pimpernel idea. I am, retorted the other dryly. As you please, but understand, citizen Chauvelin, that I will not allow you to interfere with my plans, whilst you go off on one of those wild goose chases, which have already twice brought you into disrepute. I will not interfere with your plans, citizen, rejoined Chauvelin, with unwanted gentleness but let me in my turn impress one thing upon you and that is that unless you are as wary as the serpent as cunning as the fox all your precious plans will be upset by that interfering englishman whom you choose to disregard what do you mean i mean that i know him to my cost and you do not but you will and i am not gravely mistaken make acquaintance with him ere your great adventure with these kernigan people is successfully at an end believe me citizen martin roget he added impressively you would have been far wiser to accept carrier's suggestion and let him fling that rabble into the loire for you pshaw you are not childish enough to imagine citizen chauvelin that your englishman can spirit away that wrench from under my sister's eyes do you know what my sister suffered at the hands of the kernigans do you think that she is likely to forget my father's ignominious death any more than i am and she mourns a lover as well as a father she mourns her youth her happiness the mother whom she worshipped think you a better jailer could be found anywhere and there are friends of mine lads of our own village men who hate the kernigans as bitterly as i do myself who are only too ready to lend louise a hand in case of violence and after that suppose your magnificent scarlet pimpernel succeeded in hoodwinking my sister and in evading the vigilance of a score of determined village lads who would sooner die one by one than see the kernigan escape suppose all that i say there would still be the guard at every city gate to challenge no no it couldn't be done citizen chauvelin he added with a complacent laugh 
your englishman would need the help of a legion of angels what to get the wench out of nanay this time chauvelin made no comment on his colleague's impassioned harangue memory had taken him back to that one day in september in boulogne when he too had set one prisoner to guard a precious hostage it brought back to his mind a vision of a strangely picturesque figure as it appeared to him in the window embrasure of the old castle hall footnote this adventure is recorded in the elusive pimpernel End of footnote. it brought back to his ears the echo of that quaint irresponsible laughter of that lazy drawling speech of all that had acted as an irritant on his nerves ere he found himself baffled foiled eating out his heart with vain reproach at his own folly i see you are unconvinced citizen martin roget he added quietly and i know that it is the fashion nowadays among young politicians to sneer at chauvelin the living embodiment of failure but let me just add this when you and i talked matters over together at the bottom inn in the wilds of somersetshire i warned you that not only was your identity known to the man who calls himself the scarlet pimpernel but also that he knew every one of your plans with regard to the kernigan wench and her father you laughed at me then do you remember you shrugged your shoulders and jeered at what you called my far-fetched ideas just as you do now well will you let me remind you of what happened within four-and-twenty hours of that warning which you chose to disregard yvonne de kernogan was married to lord anthony dewhurst and-i know all that man broke in martin roget impatiently it was all a mere coincidence the marriage must have been planned long before that your scarlet pimpernel could not possibly have had anything to do with it perhaps not rejoined chauvelin dryly but mark what has happened since just now when we crossed the place i saw in the distance a figure flitting past the gorgeous figure of an exquisite who of a surety is a stranger in nanay and carried upon the wings of the northwesterly wind there came to me the sound of a voice which of late i have only heard in my dreams on my soul citizen martin roget he added with earnest emphasis i assure you that the scarlet pimpernel is in nanay at the present moment that he is scheming plotting planning to rescue the kernigan wench out of your clutches he will not leave her in your power on this i would stake my life she is the wife of one of his dearest friends he will not abandon her not while he keeps that resourceful head of his on his shoulders unless you are desperately careful he will outwit you of that i am as convinced as that i am alive bah you have been dreaming citizen chauvelin rejoined martin roget with a laugh and shrugging his broad shoulders your mysterious englishman in nanay why man the navigation of the loire has been totally prohibited these last fourteen days no carriage van or vehicle of any kind is allowed to enter the city no man woman or child to pass the barriers without special permit signed either by the proconsul himself or by flory the captain of the marats why even i when i brought the kernigans in overland from la Corassique, i was detained two hours outside nanay while my papers were sent in to carrier for inspection you know that you were with me i know it replied chauvelin dryly and yet he paused with one claw-like finger held erect to demand attention 
the door of the small room in which they sat gave on the big hall where the half-dozen marats were stationed the single window at right angles to the door looked out upon the place below it was from there that suddenly there came the sound of a loud peal of laughter quaint and merry somewhat inane and affected and at the sound chauvelin's pale face took on the hue of ashes and even martin roget felt a strange sensation of cold creeping down his spine for a few seconds the two men remained quite still as if a spell had been cast over them through that light-hearted peal of rippling laughter then equally suddenly the younger man shook himself free of the spell with a few long strides he was already at the door and out in the vast hall chauvelin following closely on his heels part four the clock in the tower of the edifice was even then striking five the marats in the hall looked up with lazy indifference at the two men who had come rushing out in such an abrupt and excited manner any stranger been through here queried chauvelin peremptorily of the sergeant in command no replied the latter curtly how could they without a permit he shrugged his shoulders and the men resumed their game and their argument martin roget would have parleyed with them but chauvelin had already crossed the hall and was striding past the clerk's office and the lodge of the concierge out toward the open martin roget after a moment's hesitation followed him the place was wrapped in gloom from the platform of the guillotine an oil lamp hoisted on a post threw a small circle of light around small pieces of tallow candle set in pewter sconces glimmered feebly under the awnings of the booths and there was a street lamp affixed to the wall of the old chateau immediately below the parapet of the staircase and others at the angles of the rue de la monnaie and the narrow rue des jacobins chauvelin's keen eyes tried to pierce the surrounding darkness he leaned over the parapet and peered into the remote angles of the building and round the booths below him there were a few people on the place some walking rapidly across from one end to the other intent on business others pausing in order to make purchases at the booths up and down the steps of the guillotine a group of street urchins were playing hide-and-seek round the angles of the narrow streets the vague figures of passers-by flitted to and fro now easily discernible in the light of the street lanterns anon swallowed up again in the darkness beyond whilst immediately below the parapet two or three men of the compagnie marat were lounging against the walls their red bonnets showed up clearly in the flickering light of the street lamps as did their bare shins and the polished points of their sabots but of an elegant picturesque figure such as chauvelin had described a while ago there was not a sign martin roget leaned over the parapet and called peremptorily hey there citizens of the compagnie marat one of the red-capped men looked up leisurely your desire citizen he queried with insolent deliberation for they were mighty men this bodyguard of the great proconsul his spies and tools in the awesome work of frightfulness which he carried on so ruthlessly is that you paul friche queried martin roget in response at your service citizen came the glib reply delivered not without mock deference then come up here i wish to speak with you i can't leave my post nor can my mates retorted the man who had answered to the name of paul friche come down citizen and you desire to speak with us martin roget swore lustily the insolence of that rabble he murmured hush 
"I'll go," interposed Chauvelin quickly. "Do you know that man Friche? Is he trustworthy?" "Yes, I know him. As for being trustworthy," added Martin Roget with a shrug of the shoulders, "he is a corporal in the Marats and high in favour with the commandant Fleury." Every second was of value and Chauvelin was not the man to waste time in useless parleyings. He ran down the stairs at the foot of which one of the red capped gentry deigned to speak with him. "'Have you seen any strangers across the place just now?' he queried in a whisper. "'Yes,' replied the man Friche. Two. Then he spat upon the ground and added spitefully, "'Aristos, what? In fine clothes, like yourself, citizen. Which way did they go?' "'Down the Rue des Jacobins.' "'When?' Two minutes ago.' "'Why did you not follow them, Aristos and—' "'I would have followed,' retorted Paul Friche, with studied insolence. "'Twas you called me away from my duty.' "'After them, then,' urged Chauvelin peremptorily. "'They cannot have gone far. "'They are English spies, and remember, citizen, "'that there's a reward for their apprehension.' "'The man grunted an eager assent. "'The word reward had fired his zeal.' In a trice he had called to his mates, and the three Marats soon sped across the place and down the Rue des Jacobins, where the surrounding gloom quickly swallowed them up. Chauvelin watched them till they were out of sight, then he rejoined his colleague on the landing at the top of the stairs. For a second or two longer the click of the men's sabots upon the stones resounded on the adjoining streets and across the place and suddenly that same quaint merry somewhat inane laugh woke the echoes of the grim buildings around and caused many a head to turn inquiringly marvelling who it could be that had the heart to laugh these days in the streets of nanay part five five minutes or so later the three marats could vaguely be seen recrossing the place and making their way back to les bouffets where martin roget and chauvelin still stood at the top of the stairs excited and expectant at sight of the men chauvelin ran down the steps to meet them well he queried in an eager whisper we never saw them replied paul friche gruffly though we could hear them clearly enough talking laughing and walking very rapidly toward the quay then suddenly the earth or the river swallowed them up we saw and heard nothing more chauvelin swore and a curious hissing sound escaped his thin lips don't be too disappointed citizen added the man with a coarse laugh my mate picked this up at the corner of the rue when i fancy we were pressing the aristos pretty closely he held out a small bundle of papers tied together with a piece of red ribbon the bundle had evidently rolled in the mud for the papers were covered with grime chauvelin's thin claw-like fingers had at once closed over them you must give me back those papers citizen said the man they are my booty I can only give them up to Citizen Captain Flory. I'll give them to the Citizen Captain myself, retorted Chauvelin. For the moment, you had best not leave your post of duty, he added more peremptorily, seeing that the man made as if he would follow him. I take orders from no one except, protested the man gruffly. You will take them from me now, broke in Chauvelin, with a sudden assumption of command and authority, which sat with weird strangeness upon his thin, shrunken figure. Go back to your post at once, ere I lodge a complaint against you for neglect of duty with the citizen proconsul. He turned on his heel, and, without paying further heed to the man and his mutterings, he remounted the stone stairs. No success, I suppose, queried Martin Roget. 
None, replied Chauvelin curtly. He had the packet of papers tightly clasped in his hand. He was debating in his mind whether he would speak of them to his colleague or not. "What did Friche say?" asked the latter impatiently. "Oh! very little. He and his mates caught sight of the strangers and followed them as far as the quays. But they were walking very fast, and suddenly the Marats lost their trace in the darkness. It seemed, according to Paul Friche, as if the earth or the night had swallowed them up. And was that all? Yes, that was all. I wonder, added Martin Roget with a light laugh and a careless shrug of his wide shoulders, I wonder if you and I, citizen Chauvelin, and Paul Friche too for that matter, have been the victims of our nerves. I wonder, assented Chauvelin dryly, and, quite quietly, he slipped the packet of papers in the pocket of his coat. Then we may as well adjourn. There is nothing else you wish to say to me about that enigmatic Scarlet Pimpernel of yours? No, nothing. And you still would like to hear what the Kernigan wench will say and see how she will look when I put my final proposal before her? If you will allow me. Then come, said Martin Roget. My sister's house is close by. End of chapter 2 Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah